This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. Revving up the weekends with news and views on all things motoring. Hello and good afternoon. It is four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, which means it's only one thing happening at Joy, and that is an hour of motoring pleasure and loveliness. My name is Daniel Gardner. Thank you so much to Luke and the gang for another fabulous episode of Critical Hit, going out on another weird uh, computer games track. I always like that. I'm always a bit fascinated. It makes me a bit nostalgic because I was once a young lady. Uh, We have so much coming up on the show today. Uh, I will be talking about a life-changing experience when I drove a Lamborghini or two. And of course, we've got the Frankfurt Motor Show coming up in just a few days. So we're going to be giving you a preview of everything you can expect happening at that fabulous show. So stick with us because we have an hour of lovely motoring things happening. Uh, good afternoon. This is Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. My name is Daniel, and you join us in the Joy Studios on a glorious Saturday afternoon. And we have two very special guests for this episode. I'm joined by the regular attendee, Mike Costello. Thank you so much for being back again, Mike. Always a pleasure, Dan. Absolutely. Likewise. It's a very mutual feeling, Mike. Oh. And also, we are joined by another regular attendee of Fender Bender, the fabulous Kes Casey, who you can only say his name with the surname attached. It just sounds right. How are you, sir? Very good. Excellent. Thank you so much for being back with us. You've been a busy boy? Flat out. Excellent. Well, we will be talking to you a little bit about all you, all the things you've been up to a little bit later. But to begin with, I'm going to just, I'm going to vent a little bit on you guys. I'm sorry about this. You've got to uh, get it out of your system absolutely. before we can continue. Absolutely. And you don't, know what I'm gonna, you don't know what I'm going to say, do you? I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm honestly as okay. intrigued as anybody. So, I have a friend who's a very good lacrosse player, and I wanted to go and see her play her grand final uh, last weekend, and then there was another game today. So I thought, yeah, great, I'll go along. I'll go along and uh, I'll give a little bit of support just quickly before dashing into the studio and preparing another fabulous Fender Bender episode. So, I find this little parking space around the back of the ground... Went and saw Rihanna for 10 minutes, said hello, said good luck, and then went on my way. And when I came back to my car park, someone had parked me in. A big black X5 completely blocked me in on a bit on the ground that says no parking. It's pretty clear when it says no parking, there's a reason for not doing that. I was totally stuck. So I went back, had to put out an announcement over the, uh, the tannoy and said, can this person... No response. Couldn't find anyone. And so... Uh, if anyone wants a uh, Skoda Fabia, then there's one in their car park in Malvern right now. <laughs> I had to just leave it. I, I couldn't do anything. My car is still stuck in a car park in Malvern. So we had to get a train here? No, I got a taxi. I had like literally half an hour, so I had to just run out. Damn. I'm absolutely fuming. If you're the owner of a Black X5 and you went to a lacrosse game today, I hate you. Because you very, very nearly you know, made the, me the, miss the best my- thing. Because if, if the car that blocked you in was any other sort of car... You know, it'd be yeah. a big one thing. But the fact that it's a black BMW. Yes, exactly. It's, if, I mean, I know, and you, you have a BMW, so, I mean, there are exceptions to the rule. No, we're all wankers. <laughs> but there is the, 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 the perception that BMW drivers are more renowned for this than others. It's kind of perfect. Well, there you go. What other car would it possibly be? Precisely. Anyway, Yeesh. that's me. Rant over apologies. But that's... Do you think the Fabi is just so kind of anonymously styled that they didn't even notice that it was there? It is yellow. You couldn't oh, have missed okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe bad. they were colorblind and didn't notice the difference between the surroundings. Oh, they would have known. Maybe they were. I'm trying to think of something. Some people are just exceptionally ignorant. 
Yep, just yes. unable to see beyond their little world. I appreciate their little capsule of solitude and safety. That maybe is they're a genuine a hole. Maybe. Yeah, I think that's probably what we're looking at. Yes, Kez. <laughs> I like your genuine sort of optimism and um, yes, positivity. But I think on this occasion they were just pricks. Anyway, we've got plenty of other stuff to talk about on mm. Fender Bender today, guys. And let's get straight into it. We've got some local news to talk about um, now. Then. Uh, in the Northern Territory, we know that uh, recently they have lifted the speed limits to unlimited on certain stretches of road because they found that actually, after a trial, people um, were paying more attention and staying awake and cutting their journey times um, when they were driving at higher speeds. So they said, this is a great idea. Actually, you can cut the road toll by increasing speeds. Fabulous news for everyone. Anyway, it worked so well that they have actually expanded the network of unlimited roads. So uh, it's now a much larger footprint, I believe, isn't it, Mike? It is, and this is something that's kind of contrary to Australia's speed policy. And a lot of people in the motoring fraternity have been saying for years, I mean, you drive in Europe or America, and the speed limits are much higher than they are here, and it's actually great because it's not like you have to drive fast but if you want to you can people get where they want to go faster they're more alert and active they're better drivers as a result of driving in a more difficult situation it just works it does and you know for, for ages we've been we've been getting told that it's speed that kills only speed kills but the findings here were that they put the speed up the average speed people were doing was about 130 to 140 rather than the 110 that's mandated everywhere else yeah mortality rates didn't climb crashes didn't climb you know, the sky didn't fall uh, down. Nothing bad happened that wasn't happening before. It made almost no difference other than people got where they wanted to go faster. And so they've expanded it. And it's kind of a lesson to be learned by the rest of Australia, I would suggest. Although, of course, at this point, uh, the rest of Australian uh, governments are so used to the cash cow that are speed cameras. Exactly. It's probably not going to happen. But it's great to see at least one part of Australia sees the light. This is awesome news. I well, wonder if we're going to be doing more sort of, you know new car reviews and things like Northern Territory. <laughs> oh, I've already booked my, my next flight there. But um, <laughs> I would, I mean, the, the minister in charge up there had a great line because he said, we want to put the responsibility back on the drivers. And, you know, one of the big beefs and bugbears I have with Australia at the moment is that the responsibility, we outsource responsibility from ourselves onto others. But this is great because it's turning it full circle and saying, no, no, we're giving you freedom. Do what you want to do. Yeah. Don't impinge on others. Drive to your limits. We trust you to be enough of an adult to understand your abilities and to live up to those. And so far, it's worked. Absolutely. And it's great. So far, it's proving itself to be like adults. really successful. Yeah. I mean, we live in such a massive country that it makes it stands to reason that sometimes we're going to need to go places and it's going to take a long time. So surely it makes sense. This is my whole theory that speeding <laughs> reduces the time you're exposed to danger. It does. I like it. <laughs> Theoretically, it absolutely does. And the other thing is, fatigue is an enormous killer on Australian roads. If you can shave half an hour off a journey, that could be the difference between yep. making it somewhere. And, you know, as you would know, having driven in Europe, driving at 140 k's an hour makes you more alert than a monotonous 100 kilometre an hour trip. You know, maybe not in every circumstance, but it definitely uh, it changes your focus as a driver. Sure. So to do that, to have more attentive drivers arriving at their destination more quickly uh, without fatigue and without that kind of mind-numbing repetition of a slow journey obviously has a benefit. Absolutely. I think there's another point, which is, you know, people think that when you're driving on an autobahn in Germany where we know speeds are unlimited in sections, that these roads are incredible. They're, they're, they're vast, they're wide, they're safe. Actually, no, the Monash Freeway is better than most autobahns I've driven on, and I've driven on a lot. Yeah. So it's not, you know, we've got the road network that can handle it. I don't think making unlimited speeds in Melbourne is feasible because the driver training isn't good enough, the licensing system isn't good enough. People here are just, frankly, not very good drivers because they're not trained to be. But 
to say that we don't have the network to handle it, we don't have the possibility of learning lessons from the Northern Territory government in some way, and continuing down the road we're continuing down is absurd. Yeah, and absolutely. hopefully others see what's happening in, Northern, in the Northern Territory, and uh, you know it inspires them to think a little bit. Yeah, and we're not talking about we're not trying to uh, support you know going fast everywhere. Obviously, there are places where you do need to slow down, you know, outside schools and for example, and during certain times of the day. But what we're talking about is very remote roads, very straight roads where you know it's perfectly safe. And as you say, Mike, you know I've, I've been lucky enough to be driving on autobahns, and literally two hundred kilometres an hour it does not feel bad in any way modern cars are so capable of handling these speeds safely that you know it's, it's it's time for change surely and one thing people have to get just be clear on is it's not as if you have to do that speed absolutely, you can still drive 80 yeah. if you want to no yes. one's making you drive fast as a police it's officer merely if you wish to as a police officer in the uk once said to me it's a speed limit not a target anyway we're gonna have a very short break <laughs> uh, we're gonna be back straight after this so do stick around you're on fender bender on joy 94.9 Fender Bender, guaranteed to leave skid marks? Oh, it's the same one again, sorry. He's very insistent on getting that message I know. across. I, I meant to, well, I'll play another one in a minute, I promise. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, uh, before the break, I was talking about how I very nearly didn't make it to the show today because someone has parked my car in, and we've actually had two messages already. Uh, the first one says, if your car is blocked in, call the police and they'll have it towed. Unfortunately, you can't do it the other way uh, round if you can't get into your driveway. Mm, well, I'd be willing to give it a go. And someone else, Mike? Uh, yes, another one. Uh, hi, boys. The other day I was parked at the train station. There was a car parked nose into my driver's side door. When I came back in the afternoon, someone in a black BMW oh. parked so close to my door, I couldn't get in. And I'm skinny. I had to get in the passenger side. Maybe this is a serial offender. Thanks for that one, Linz. And you know what? Wouldn't it be amazing if it was a serial offender? This one <laughs> troll is going around intentionally just messing with people. Uh, you know, it'd be kind of a good story, I, wouldn't it? It's not beyond the realms of possibility. <laughs> Thank you for your advice. If you want to get in touch, it's very easy. You can text in to 0427 joy 949 or you can email me on air at joy.org.au to give me all of your advice on how to deal with meddling motorists. Did you leave a passive aggressive note on the windscreen? Do you know, I actually thought about doing that after I'd left the scene. Because I get those I've got those a couple of times over the years like I have a neighbour who's done it to me twice where they feel, like, I mean I park perfectly perfectly legitimately but I sometimes have really big cars. Yeah. So you know, you stick out a little bit and I've had a couple of times quite passive aggressive notes left on the windshield and not quite deserved then but if some people see fit to do it, then your situation was the perfect occasion to do yeah, it. Yeah, I, 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 if I had, it would have been basically a, a f- constant obscenities. It wouldn't have been anything worthwhile. It would <laughs> so just, not really passive, just aggressive. Just the aggressive yeah. part of passive yep. aggressive, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting over it. I just hope it's still there when I get back. A few, uh, more, few more deep breaths, you'll be right. Back to the news. Wouldn't it be great if they were climbing into the X5 just <laughs> oh, as you got back and you got to confront them? Stop it, I'm ah. fantasising about it now. Okay, back to the news. We're staying with the local just for a moment. The Ford Mustang is on its way. It's going to be here at the end of the year. Very exciting stuff. Uh, and if that wasn't good enough news, then uh, Mustang, sorry, Shelby, have allowed a contractor in Melbourne to modify the Ford, officially modify the Ford Mustang when it gets here. So you'll be able to have a real Shelby Mustang in Australia. Very exciting news. They're offering a range of uh, aftermarket parts to tune up your car, fitted and tuned. Um, everywhere from, you know, body decals and that kind of thing, all the way up to a supercharger that will boost your Mustang GT power to 700 kilowatts. Thank you very much. Is that all? Yes. Weak. A thousand horsepower in your Mustang. How glorious is that? Is this good news, boys? You'll go to the Northern Territory straight away. (laughs) I will, yeah. (laughs) 
This is uh, it's pretty exciting news. Shelby's fairly synonymous with uh, fast Fords and a bunch of other cars in the United States as well. Yep. So it's nice to see that uh, along with the Mustang, there'll be a a proper authorized kind of opportunity to add some Shelby tuning to to Mustangs over here. Is it is it right? You know, does a, does a Mustang have to be a Shelby? Is it, you know, are you going to be frowned upon if you just have a normal one now? I suppose that's the danger, isn't it? But yeah. people still like SS Commodores and without HSVs, so I think people appreciate there is a bit of a stepped thing going on. Yeah. It's a very iconic badge, though, isn't it, Shelby? Totally. And yeah. Even here, I mean, it's not an Australian brand, but people know it. Is it the, um, is it the snake? Hmm. Yeah, it is, right. Yeah. The cobra. Yeah. 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 Yep. I don't know whether... Yeah, cool. Oh, look, I'm, I'm all up for it. I'd be just happy with the little EcoBoost four-cylinder. I love the Mustang. Hmm. I haven't driven it. Yeah, anyway, well, it'll be here in December, so you'll, you've got a lot of excitement to look forward to. Hooray! Moving on, uh, BMW. Now, we talk about BMW a lot on the show, uh, and you can have very fast BMWs if you go for one with an M badge. But in Europe, for many years, there's been a separate wing of BMW, uh, authorised, and it's called Alpina. This is a separate tuning branch, um, sort of in the same vein as M, but it's done outside of BMW's own factory. Uh, and it is a range of slightly more uh, luxurized to use an awful word that I just made up on the spot. I like it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll go with word. it. Um, yeah, so these cars, Alpina range, they take a, a relatively standard BMW and then they increase its power, give it some nice sort of decorations, a special, uh, very noticeable interior, and, and then they, they sell them to you for a little bit more, but they're very unique. They're very bespoke. Um, and there's a chance it's, the, the Alpinas will be coming to Australia. Uh, there has been an application put in uh, for something along the lines of homologation for Australia, and it means we may get... At last, an Alpina, an official Alpina in Australia. I'm very excited about this because I, when I was, you know, back in the motherland, I did drive Alpinas and they're brilliant. They're really good. They're that little bit more exclusive, a little bit faster, and they've got, you know, just cool touches to make them a little bit more exclusive in much the same way that, you know, you go for a Mustang, uh, a Shelby Mustang. Well, I mean, Australia is disproportionately oriented towards performance cars. Every brand that sells cars here sells heaps of the sporty ones. Mm. AMG, Volkswagen, GDI, you name it. They all sell way more here than anywhere else in the world because um, we're a rich country and we... Uh, you know, uh, have a bit of a car culture going on that's still quite intrinsic to who we are. So a car like Alpina makes a whole lot of sense. Totally. I guess the question is, does BMW Australia allow it or does it, is it happy about it? What Does it happen through BMW dealers? Do they have their own shops? Yeah. All well, the logistics are quite interesting. But the idea of an Alpina here, they look fantastic. Yeah, don't they? Yeah. They've got these special stripes, really noticeable. And the 20-spoke alloys are like a classic Alpina thing. So you'll spot one a mile away. They look great. They'll be a little bit more expensive if they do get here. But as you say, Mike, you know, people love a performance car here, and I reckon they'll they'll sell really strongly. It's, in fact, it's a wonder it's, they've not been here before. Do you know why I'd like to say Alpina and why I would buy an Alpina over an M? Do tell, Kez. I can't wait for this. Because of those wheels. Right? Yeah, so really? they're 20-spoke, really, yeah. really fine-spoke wheels. But there's no filler cap to top up the air on the outside of the rim like what? there is on a normal alloy wheel. What? Instead, you have to pull the centre cap off and the filler valve is hidden in amongst the wheel nuts. Really? One of the spokes is hollow and the air travels down that to the tyre. That, to me, is the most awesome thing. This is the best day of my life. <laughs> I, have, I didn't know that. that so is... for that alone, I want Alpina to come to Australia. Oh, this is why we love you, Casey. You've always got the little pearls of wisdom. I didn't know that. That is fascinating. How the hell did you know that? 
Uh, because I'm a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm that guy that actually hates when you can see wheel weights on alloy wheels. And yes. so I always request that mine are hidden, which is, you know, near impossible because they've got to be in a particular spot to actually weight a wheel. But okay. valves, tyre valves annoy the hell out of me because they're visible and they're ugly. And there's only one of them, so you can't balance one against the other or <laughs> five of them like one in each spoke that I, drives me up the wall I, to hide that completely makes my day i absolutely love how passionate cares is about wheel weights and valves uh you are listening to fender Bender. we're totally bent for your listening pleasure joy 94.9 uh now at the other side of the world there is a big motor show that's just about to happen it is the frankfurt international motor show it is the biggest motor show in the world and it is on our it is on the verge of launching and we're very excited because there's S- lots of it go on staggeringly vast i was gonna yeah, it's, it is it's, huge. It's enormous. So for a week, uh, they basically create car land. It is vast. Uh, you have to get a minibus to get around all the stands. Um, it is absolutely vast. Now, uh, very exciting news because there's lots of, you know, obviously the major manufacturers like to save their hottest stuff for Frankfurt because it is so high profile. And we're very excited about some of the models that are, that are going to, uh, they're going to, air there for the first time. Now, we're going to start off with one which is not known to be particularly glamorous, but Sangyong. All right, <laughs> we're starting laugh. at Sangyong. Don't, don't laugh. <laughs> yeah. Don't be mean. Well, we can only go up from there. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, that's this you're so mean. They are they've already revealed that they're going to be showing two little SUVs, the XLV Air and the XAV Adventure. Um one of those Catchy. will Yeah, all right. Okay. Listen, guys, stop ganging up on Sangyong. They're all right. They're not bad. I like Sanyong's. Sanyong's, um, they exist better than a in cherry. the marketplace. Yeah. That's something. All right, okay, okay, okay. I'll cut to the chase. The reason I'm mentioning them is because they have a car, a production car at the moment called a Tivoli, uh, and I only just found out it actually underwent Australian development. So that oh. little car, although it's not sold here, it actually came to the outback and did some extreme weather testing because Australia is a very challenging environment. We get the heat, we got the dust, and so there's a little bit of Australia in that funny little southern uh, Korean Sangyong. Oh, Yeah, cute, huh? So when you oh. see it at the show, you think differently of those concepts because they're based on a partly Aussie-developed car. Anyway, Moving on to something a little bit more exciting. Jaguar will be showing their F-Pace. So, as all the manufacturers of the world seem to be getting on board with some kind of SUV, Jaguar have also joined the band Wagon. (laughs) Uh, And they will be launching the F-Pace at Frankfurt Motor Show. What do you think about the name? Yeah, I don't... mm, It's a bit... I know, it's either just crap or it's just a bit pretentious. Yeah, I think the F-Pace idea, though, is fantastic because Jaguar's biggest problem is that its parent company, or sorry, it's not its parent company, but it's the same company as Land Rover. It's all the same yeah. thing. So they can't make a rugged, tough SUV because that would just cut the grass of Land Rover. They have to do something different. So this is a crossover based on the XE that handles brilliantly. It's even got bits from the F-Type Coupe in it. Really? Uh, yeah. Which bits? Uh, it's got... Uh, oh, I can't Engine? Tor- torque vectoring system. I oh, believe. really? And it's got uh, all the suspension from the XE, obviously recalibrated. Yeah. But it's a dynamic focus crossover. It's basically a Porsche Macan rival. So it's never going to be taken off off of the bitumen. It's not designed for that. It's more of a status thing. But they revealed it this week and they showed us the first picture of many uh, and it looks pretty cool. I don't, what I really like about it is that yeah. wrap that it's in. You know, they've sort of kind of disguised it still with... They put out the first official pick this week. Yeah, well, I'm just, I'm just... I'm very behind <laughs> things, Mike. You know, I'm just very slow to pick up these things. Well, I, I still like the one I know of. All right. I know the, the one you're talking about. The, the sparky neon wrap. Yeah, there. it's cool. It's like got galaxies all over. I kind of hope they'll offer that as a <laughs> as an option. Yeah, like you can buy a mini with a Union Jack roof. Can yeah. I buy an F Pace with a universe covered on it. in stars or stripes or 
Whatever. I fully support that. That Definitely. could be fun. Yes. All right, staying with high riders then. Renault, this is big news. You know how everyone loves a ute in Australia. Uh, and one-tonners, you know, things like Toyota Hilux, um, Ford Ranger, Mitsubishi Trident. I could go on. So I will. Nissan Navara. Uh, so people love uh, one-tonner in Australia. And it seems that Renault finally are going to get on board and offer one as well. Well, it's very appropriate you say Navara because obviously Renault and Nissan globally are allied. They have big shares in each other. And this car, the Renault Alaskan, as the concept is called, Ooh. is basically a Navara underneath with a slightly different body. Um, and the Navara, as we know, it has a bunch of Renault bits in it now. So it's all kind of a mongrel car. Um, but it's a spin-off of the Navara. Mercedes is also doing its own version of it because yep. Mercedes is in on the part. And, yeah, I mean, every company wants to do a ute because it's a booming market. Renault has the runs on the board, though, because it's Europe's biggest light commercial vehicle brand by a long way. Yep. It dominates in Africa. It dominates in South America. You know, even here, it's vans sell really well. So as a commercial brand, I think it makes sense for Renault to want to go down that road. The question is, there's already, what, 10 mainstream utes there. So is there room for Renault to join, for Mercedes to join, Fiat's joining with its own Mitsubishi Triton-based ute? I mean, it's getting out of hand. Yeah, so... There'll be a Jaguar ute next. D- oh, don't. Can you imagine? <laughs> That would sell. I would actually really like one of those. A Jaguar Ute? Yeah, for sure. Surely someone's made one at some point. As long as it's like an F-type Ute. I don't want a high-riding ladder-frame chassis. I want like a a Commodore replacement. Sure. Yeah, well, if you're listening, Jaguar... You know, prime opportunity I there. I saw that in Australia there's a dude who made um, a Ute at Rolls-Royce. Have you ever seen that? I have. Yeah, isn't that fantastic? Absolutely wonderful. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the Peugeot Fractal. Now, this is a concept that the French car maker uh, will reveal also at Frankfurt. Um, obviously, it is a bit outlandish. It doesn't look very close to a production model at this stage, but it's it's one of those concepts that showcases new technology. And this car has quite a lot to do with sound, I believe, doesn't it, Kez? It is uh, described as being shaped by sound. Uh, so it's a four-seat all-electric urban coupe. Uh, with a removable top, which in my mind makes it a convertible. But yeah. <laughs> uh, the fun things about it are that it has um, an enormous sound system in it. So it has what they call a 9.1.2 channel sound system. What does that mean? So nine channels surround sound, one channel is a subwoofer, and two channels are embedded in each seat what? to deliver bass directly to your inner ear no. via your body. No. Uh, the I navigation. Know what that's for. I know exactly what that's for. <laughs> that's like when you put your phone on vibrate and put it just a little bit deeper in your pocket, if you know Something what I mean. like that, yes. Uh, the navigation system uses directional speakers so that your next turn instruction comes from the direction that you need to turn in. Oh, cool. The interior is. Uh, made up from 80% 3D printed parts, and amongst those are anechoic cones. So if you've ever been inside a recording studio, you'll see they've got the little foam cones all over the walls, and the Fractal uses those so that, again, sound is pure and not taken up by road noise, engine noise, and things like that. How lovely. Some it's really nerdy as hell. That's what you See, another one for you, Kez. <laughs> That's why we love concepts, is they showcase these new ideas that one day will hopefully filter down to road cars. Speaking of road cars, we're going to be talking a little bit more about more terrestrial but still fabulous cars after this break. So stick around. You're on Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. My name is Daniel Gardner, and I'm joined in the studio by Mike and Kez, and we're talking about the Frankfurt Mode Show and all things fabulous that are happening there, but now we're bringing it back to Australia and something that you and I drove, Kez, it was, of course, the Lamborghini Aventador. Which was absolutely insane. Yeah. 
again, nerding out, this thing is engineering perfection. It is all-wheel drive, a 6.5-litre V12 put behind the cabin. It sounds glorious. It looks like nothing else on the road. It is just, it is just, I don't know, I find really the words. It's just, it's so good that it's indescribable. It really is. You have to experience an eventual. However, that makes us really bad journalists, so we're going to have a go at describing it. We will it. give it a shot. Right, okay. So the, and if I had to describe the eventual in a word, it would be brutal. It is such a violent and intense car to drive. You can't drive it smoothly. It always feels like it wants to go faster. It's just, it is an incredible experience. I'm going to disagree with you slightly. It is brutal. It is absolutely brutal, but it has three driving modes. Yeah. So it has strata, which is your around town mode, sport, which self-explanatory, yeah. and Corsa, which is like a race mode. In strata, which is the take Nan to the shops mode, you can drive it like a Corolla. It is actually so controllable. And to me, a V12 Lamborghini should be possibly the most feral thing on the road. By the time you dial up Corsa mode, it absolutely is. Like, it's just yeah. mind-numbingly... It will actually liquefy your organs if you yeah. full throttle it. Yeah. So it changes the speed of the shifts. And now where a lot of um, supercars these days have dual clutch transmissions, which can make you know very smooth gear changes almost imperceptibly, um, the Lambo has a single clutch system. And so it has to take off the power, disengage the clutch, change gear, reapply the power. And that process is absolutely glorious i i'm completely the lamborghini has made me hate dual clutch gearboxes absolutely. the whole performance is so theatrical and in corsa mode it actually hurt it, it, it gave me does. a headache it's like someone walking around behind you with a baseball bat thumping you every time there's a gear change not only that though but it does it in a fraction of a second it's not like you doing it in a manual gear change where you would like you describe the process put your foot on the clutch change gear take your foot off the clutch yeah. put your foot back on accelerator like it just so so fast and that's where the pain comes from and that is absolutely <laughs> glorious I, i'm so pleased you said that because i know a lot of people would jump in an event store drive it and say well this is the worst car in the world it's loud it's inefficient it's noisy and it's uncomfortable and, and for those reasons it is the greatest car in i the world. couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more now then seven hundred and sixty-one and a half thousand dollars for the base version the one that we drove had a few little extras didn't it which took it up to eight hundred and forty thousand. One of those extras is an absolute essential in my mind. For $14,500... I know exactly what you're going to say. ...you can add a glass engine cover. How wonderful So, is that? over the back of the car, instead of not being able to see the V12, you can see the whole thing. It's three sheets of glass. It looks fantastic. But if you want to be able to see out the back of it, you have to spend that $14,000. Otherwise, that the rearview mirror, mirror is just ornamental. Pointless. How does it cost fourteen and a half thousand dollars I know. It's I, so I, I hate to break up this little party reminiscing about <laughs> freaking 800 grand Lamborghini. Lamborghini, but it costs 14 grand to buy a pane of glass. Yes. Seriously. Do you want me to make it even worse for you? Uh, the car that we drove has contrasting red stitching on the dash. That's $2,000. <laughs> Just the stitching. I can, I'm going to go one better. I'm going to go one better. The paint job. Okay. I'm good, it's called like Rosso Mars or something. Basically, it's red. It's, it's not a, even. It's a flat red. It's, it's not, not a metallic. metallic. It's not a pearl. Yes. Okay. So, what is a reasonable price to pay for a, a, a more exclusive paint job? Two thousand dollars. Couple of thousand. Most manufacturers. Mazda will charge you two hundred dollars for its beautiful uh, soul red, which and is a three coat paint, by yes. the way, which is a you know fairly labour intensive process and looks fantastic. Yes, and and that's the only paint they'll charge you for. Everything else is standard. Lamborghini for flat red, twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> 
<laughs> Hang on. Does it come in a standard colour that's free or do you have to pay for whatever colour you want? No, you can get standard colours. You know, And actually, the standard colours are quite cool. You can get some metallic colours that are included oh, yeah. in price. But yeah, to go flat red is 20 grand. Porsche's up, up to it as well. They're, um, they'll offer the, uh, a flat red for its uh, Panamera, which costs you $8,000. So Gouging. That's a, that's a bargain if you are by pure comparison. gouging. Anyway, anyway, all of this is, is pointless and irrelevant because a supercar is supposed to make you feel fabulous. And, Kez, did the Aventador make you feel fabulous? You want to know what makes you feel the most fabulous in an Aventador? And in any V12 Hang Lamborghini. On. Is this have, broadcastable? Hang they on. have, yes, no, this is absolutely broad, broadcastable. Okay. So every V12 Lamborghini from the Countach on has uh, the most amazing doors in the world. They do not hinge out from the body, they hinge up. So you unlatch the door, and it's a two-step process to do this when you're inside the car, which just adds to the drama. Totally. But the door swings skyward, and you emerge looking like a complete and utter rock star. <laughs> it is possibly the greatest thing in history. And I know that you can buy a Lamborghini hinge kit for a run-of-the-mill car. They're not the same. No, and if right? you do that, They're you horrendous. will like a Do not ever put them on your car. The only car that a Lamborghini door is acceptable on is a Lamborghini. And that, to me, that was my favourite thing ever. I have got 500 photos of this car just with the doors open because it looks spectacular. Nothing else comes close. Not even nearly as dramatic as the Aventador with its doors open. And, and yeah, absolutely. And not even its own sibling can match it, the Huracan, which I then drove uh, after the Aventador. Um, it's it's still a Lamborghini. It's still a sensational-looking thing. But it just... You know, I've spoken to a couple other journalists who have driven both, and they say... Everyone says, uh, without question, the Huracan is the better car. They're wrong. The hur- Huracan is too easy to drive. It's too... It's, it's not sensational. Absolutely. Enough. I'm so with you on this. I cannot understand why anyone would prefer... The Huracan over... Well, I can. It's half price. Well, the Huracan is <laughs> yeah. just an Audi R8. Yes, Well, the R8 is just an Huracan. But yeah. it's all... I mean, Audi owns Lamborghini, so it's all the same car, whereas the Aventador is a bespoke Lamborghini-only vehicle. Precisely. Yeah. So and it is, it is entirely bespoke. It doesn't share any... Uh, apart from some interior parts, which are out of the Audi parts bin, there is no framework, there's no engine, there's no transmission, there's no driveline component that that car shares with any other. It is completely and utterly unique, and there's very, very few cars like that now in the world. Uh, So for that alone, it is worth... Yes. Double the entry price. I totally agree. Um, you and I are absolutely on the same same page here, Kez. Totally agree. It's worth the extra cash. Yes, the Huracan is just as fast around a circuit. It is ridiculously fast anywhere. Um, looks wonderful. Sounds fantastic. It's got a V10, 5.2-litre V10, also mid-mounted. It's a fantastic car. But the, the Aventador is the only car that I've ever uncontrollably shouted out loud while I was driving. And for that reason alone, it has to be the best car I've ever driven. I actually think that your shouts were still echoing around the cabin when I got in. <laughs> but you're right. Like it is, there are very few cars that can do what it can do in terms of driver and passenger reaction. Absolutely. There we are. The uh, Lamborghini Aventador, a life-changing vehicle. Don't forget to fasten your seatbelt. You are listening to Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. Now then, Sir Michael of Costello Shire over there, um, you uh, are very good with figures, aren't you? And you every every month Ooh. you like to uh, analyse the V-Fact, which is the... Yes, the you know, you guys are, are talking about uh, Lamborghinis <laughs> and, and flights of fancy, but I'm getting in there and talking figures and stats. Yeah, let's have a harsh dose Exciting. of reality then. No, this is good, this is good. This is why I'm letting you handle this one, because you can make numbers... Interesting. So, V-Facts are the numbers of uh, car, new car registrations in Australia. They come out each month, and they can reveal some quite surprising trends, can't they? 
They can. I mean, you say on the surface of car sales for the month, who cares, you know? But you can discern a lot about the industry from these car sales. And there's a few things that happened uh, last month and that are happening this year that you might not know. Uh, First of all, the big news was Hyundai overtook Holden on the year-to-date sales race. So Hyundai is now the third top-selling brand in the country, ahead of Holden. Wow. So Mazda second, Toyota's first, as usual. But the fact that Holden's off the podium for the first time in decades is pretty remarkable. And it's little old Hyundai that's done it. Fantastic. Good on them. Well, look, rightly so. It's a great range of cars they've got at the moment. Really strong. Yeah. Oh. Uh, however, uh, on the topic of you know uh, Holden, uh, we sometimes think that nobody buys Australian-made cars anymore. We've talked endlessly about how the factories are closing here, that you know the Australian car industry is uh, dying, and it is. And in raw terms, people don't buy as many Aussie cars as they used to. But two of the top six-selling cars last month were Australian-built cars. The Camry was sixth, and the Commodore was third. Yeah. And if you make Commodore and Ute and Caprice all one model, and they're sort of in a way are, it actually outsold them as to three and went into second. So people still buy Aussie cars, just not in the raw numbers they used to, but in a relative sense, they're as popular as they ever were. And another one of the top six sellers, the Ford Ranger, was entirely developed here. They don't build it here, but the whole thing was done in Australia. So it just goes to show that Australians still like Australian built or engineered cars. And the argument that they don't is kind of a furphy. That is brilliant, brilliant observation, Mike. Thank you, because we do often cover, you know, the doom and gloom that is Australian car manufacturing ending in a couple of years' time. And so, you know, you know pick out that actual interesting fact that can get lost amongst the figures is a bit of, bit of good news. Like you say, you know, people are still buying Australian cars. They still like them. Um, it's just that, you know, I, I suppose the media... We're well, all guilty of this. Dwell on the on the bad news. The days of selling 10,000 Commodores a month are over, but nobody sells that many of any car anymore. So the whole industry's changed. The other one that was sort of interesting to me was the fact that, and I've talked before about how luxury cars are huge now, uh, bigger than ever. If you talk just passenger cars, exclude SUVs, exclude commercials, just passenger cars, BMW, Benz and Audi, all three Germans, outsold the passenger car range of Ford, Mitsubishi and Subaru. Wow. So more people buy C-Classes and 3 Series and A4s and all those high-end German cars than humble Subaru, Mitsubishi and Ford passenger cars. And that is why exactly you're listening to Fenderman at the moment, because you're a nation of petrol heads. Thank you very much yeah. for buying wonderful cars. We're going to take a short break, but we will be back. Stick around. You're on Fender Vendor on Joy 94.9. Hi, this is Kylie Minogue, and you're listening to Joy 94.9. You so are. Thanks, Kylie. You're on Join 94.9. This is Fender Bender. We've got a little bit of time left to discuss some wintry matters. Now then, oh. in the week. Wintry matters. Uh, okay, so it's Father's Day tomorrow, isn't it? Mm-hmm. If you still haven't got pop something, then may I suggest the Audi Snow Driving Challenge or experience. Audi Snow Driving Experience. Uh, for the first time in existence, uh, there is a snow driving experience at the top of Mount Hotham. You can pay Audi a sum of $600, which is relatively reasonable, and they will allow you to drive the all-new Audi Q7, which is their large SUV, in the snow and ice on top of a mountain. Now, how cool does that sound, quite literally? Well, if, you know, you want to pair up with a couple of siblings and buy your dad something, 600 bucks sounds like a lot, but if two or three of you are splitting it up, yes, kind of reasonable, right? Absolutely right. Uh, there, were, there were a few spots left when I did the drive experience on Wednesday, so you may still get in for but tomorrow. But a Q7, is that really the car that you want to be doing ice driving? Okay, uh, fair point, but the <laughs> The, the interesting and the nice thing about the Q7 is it actually hasn't launched yet. So what you're also getting is a an opportunity to drive a car that hasn't really been released to the public yet. It's the first opportunity you can get to do that. So what you will do is you'll turn up at uh, Mount Hotham and they have a series of snow challenges for you um, to demonstrate what can happen. And so this is, you know, it's a genuine educational course. You, you, people driving up at Hotham all the time. If you have snow drifts, obviously the, the grip can be very low. And uh, the 
the challenge, the course will actually show you how to control slides, how to use ABS um, properly to carry on, you know, stay in control of a vehicle, and also have a, a load of fun at the same time. They also have opened up a trail, which is not normally uh, open to the public during the winter months. So there's another exclusive little thing, and you do this wonderful tour through the mountains in Hotham. Scenery at this time of year is absolutely spectacular, and it was a really, really good day. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so Q7 is out soon, it's out in a couple of weeks. Uh, if you want to get into one of those and have a, uh, a first drive, then there you go, Mount Hotham. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nice, I like it. Uh, have either of you guys ever done any snow driving or ice driving before? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Really? It's, you well, you've got no traction and no grip, no anything in New Zealand. But um, it's a different experience, isn't it? Because the what you expect, you know, you, the, in, the inputs you put into your pedals and your wheel don't correspond to actions of the car yeah. in the same way it normally would. It's kind of unnerving. So any way that you can get better at learning how to control a car in that kind of situation, it's got to be a good thing. Absolutely. Um, and it's one of those things that you... Even though you're expecting it to happen, it's still utterly terrifying. You know full well you're going on snow and ice. It's going to slide. But even so, when it happens, I just curl up in a ball and get in the back, basically. <laughs> um, but there is something very amusing about going completely sideways in a big, sensible Audi. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's a great experience. Anyway, moving on. Um, speaking of uh, luxurious and interesting cars, Mike, you had a little play in uh, BMW's new 7 Series, didn't you? Yeah, and it was uh, launched this week globally, uh, so it's finally out and about. It's BMW's answer to the, uh, the Mercedes S-Class, which has taken all before it in the world of ultra-luxury cars. The 7 Series has this amazing bit of kit called Gesture Control. It's got this sensor in the roof that beams down and reads uh, the area in the immediate vicinity of the the infotainment screen. So you have a series of hand controls that you can do in mid-air, sort of hovering in front of the fascia, and it can control various functions of the car. So you can pinch and grab in mid-air, a la Tony Stark in Iron Man, and move <laughs> around the camera uh, to show different parts of the car. Yeah. You can adjust the stereo by turning your finger in a clockwise motion to make the volume go up. Um, but the best part, the absolute most, one of the greatest features of a car I've seen in a long, long time is the most prototypically 7 Series thing yes. in the world, because you envision the average 7 Series driver, it's probably a big cigar, tycoon, <laughs> successful, has made it in the world when you have a phone call coming through on the bluetooth and the screen is flashing the phone you can see who's calling you if you don't want to answer the phone you put this giant dismissive wave in midair oh, in front wonderful. of the fascia and it hangs up absolutely driving along brilliant. and you just go bah and you just wave your hand dismissively and gone that makes you feel really powerful doesn't I, it? i would encourage people to call me while driving that car <laughs> just so i could ignore their phone call because that's how much fun doing that was but they need to be able to see you doing it that's the no, thing no. you just get them to call you from the back seat it'll be fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so this system sounds incredibly clever but does it work all the time do you make accidental instructions well, and things there was an instance where it didn't and we found out studio lighting can throw it off so oh, really? certain kinds of light can throw it off. This is a first-generation system. Any yeah. first-generation system is going to have kinks, but in the real world, it generally does. And, and it's an example of how car brands use their high-end vehicles to start technology that trickles down. You know, every bit of technology we know in cars today had teething problems early on. The iDrive in the first 7 Series was a perfect example of that. Not the first 7 Series, a previous 7 Series. Yep. Anytime a new tech comes along and has issues, this will be mainstream tech in 10, 20 years' time. Um, but... It, seem to work pretty well in most occasions. Does it make you look like an idiot, though? I mean, Absolutely. are people going to be driving along, looking in, and you're flailing your arms around like some kind of maniac? 
As opposed to the way I normally drive. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, oh, yeah, I suppose. But you're in a 7 Series, who cares? Yeah, I suppose so. But I remember the first time I saw people uh, using hands-free technology to speak in cars. And you just pull up alongside someone at the lights and they're just talking to themselves. And I thought, oh, crazy guy next door. <laughs> that, that's that's w- when you turn to the person looking at you and you stare them in the eye yeah. as you're having your phone yeah. call. <laughs> it just really, un- it, it sort of unnerves them a little bit. Um, so, yeah. So, new 7 Series, it'll make you look stupid. Yes. No, no. Because, of course, as you say, Mike, this technology will filter down it'll be in everything before we know it and then you'll just see people flailing their arms around you know what they're doing and there is a safety point if you're not you know searching for a button or a part of the touch screen if you're just doing vague gestures in midair obviously you're not taking your eye off the road you don't need to do that you know what your hand's doing without looking at your hand but if you want to touch a touch screen or touch a button you have to look at it that's time you're not looking at the road so it's inherently safer and uh, it will feature on all cars in 10 20 years time i'm sure of it is there an advantage over just a normal voice control which of course is quite widespread now Mm, people don't use voice control it's weird, I mean, isn't it? As good as voice control is now, and it generally is, it's as good as Siri uh, on, on the iPhone, Yeah, people don't use it. Isn't that interesting? There's a study that came out recently. Nobody uses it. So I don't like talking to an inanimate object. I, uh, I look, Obviously, I use voice control systems in cars to rate how good they are for reviews. However, I feel like a complete and utter idiot every time I have to talk to a car. And worse than that, so many systems make you wait an eternity. Press the button on the steering wheel. Wait for a prompt. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, navigation, and then it'll ask you Phoenix command. And by the time you've done that, you're just about ready to put an axe through the dash. <laughs> so I think that gesture control, if it speeds that whole process up, if it makes it easier, if it saves you from looking like a moron talking to your car, is well and truly worth it. Okay. All right. I'm still to be sold on this. I'm not sure. Hmm. I, it's, it's a bit big brother for my liking. You know, the car's watching you all the time. I, that's just unnerving. Just don't pick your nose so much. I d- what do you mean so much? I'm a lady. I don't pick my nose at all. <laughs> all right, okay, everyone does, even the Queen. Anyway. We're totally bent for your listening pleasure. Join 94.9. Sir Kez of Caseyshire, you have been driving a mini JCW, have you not? I have been driving a mini JCW. Yeah, now there's one thing about I love the JCW. I absolutely love that car with a passion. There's one thing about it, though, in the, in the one you drove, that makes me a little bit angry. This is not the car I'd buy. I would buy a Mini JCW. I would have a lot of fun in it. Yeah. The particular one that I drove was equipped with an automatic transmission. Oh, Nacy, that's just wrong. Now, enthusiasts everywhere think, yeah, manual, for sure. But the sad reality is that for 99% of us, we drive to work, we sit in traffic for an eternity... Dan picks his nose. Uh, but you, you're doing a lot of non-driving while you're driving. You're sitting there stationary. And stop-start traffic is a bit of a pain. The auto kind of solves that problem. Purely yeah. because it's just easier to drive. It's simpler. It's also a very good auto. What kind of auto so is it? Is it dual clutch? or is It's it a not nor- a dual clutch transmission. It's nothing fancy. It's yeah. a normal hydraulic torque converter automatic. Yep. Uh, it is only a six-speed. It's not something glamorous like seven or eight or twenty-eight speed, yeah. <laughs> but it works really well. So it's got uh, a choice of three driving modes. There's a mid mode, which is for your average running around, an eco mode if you're so inclined, or a sport mode that you know sharpens responses from the transmission, okay. the steering, and the uh, adaptive dampers. Sport mode is a whole lot of fun. Uh, I got a winding road pass with no other traffic, able to flick up and down gears with the steering wheel paddles. It's maybe not as sharp on a down change as, say, a Volkswagen dual-clutch box, but otherwise you would 
barely bemoan the fact that you're in an automatic. It's really, really a sharp good? little unit. Really? Look, I'm not going to say it's the most wonderful thing in the world. If you are a driving purist, you're going to have more fun in the manual every time. And it's more involving in a manual. But the auto is good enough that you aren't going to hate yourself if you buy one. Okay. So, right. I mean, you know, there's no secret that modern automatics are generally pretty damn good. But there are a couple of cars that, for me, buying the automatic makes no sense. Mini's one of them. Mazda MX-5 is another one totally. of them. Any pure, simple, basic car still suits a manual. Uh, auto, automatic in 99% of occasions, totally right, totally works. But the engagement factor, what's good about a Mini is you're part of the car. Totally. Right? Yes, I so, agree. And I'm sure you feel the same way, Kez. Like, as good oh, as yeah, it is, absolutely. did you love it? Look, I I liked it a lot. I would have loved it if it was a manual. And there is the difference. Yeah. There we go. The go uh, the uh, Fender Bender stamp of approval. I nearly said the name of my work then. That was a uh, that was a moment lapse of con- con- Buy the bass mini. It's 24 grand. Half the price. There Just we go. Much fun. There we go. Do that. Voice of reason from the corner of the studio there. <laughs> Gentlemen, it is that time we have to go again. I'm so terribly sorry. Uh, thank you so much for coming in. It's been wonderful. Mike, you and I are off to Frankfurt in just a couple of days. So when we come back, we will be regaling tales of afar and the things that we've seen. Kez, you will uh, know don't hold the fort for us while I'll, we're away. I'll, I'll keep things, the home fires burning, yeah. Fantastic. We'll, we'll be off in the land of sausages. D- oh, wow. And on that note, we definitely should leave. Uh, until next week, I have been Daniel Gardner. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this is Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. This has been a Fender Bender podcast for Joy 94.9, Australia's first and only gay and lesbian radio station. See joy.org.au for more details. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.